It's Jarris Walker Day here on Locked on Pacers, continuing through the draft breakdowns, looking at the Houston forward, where his upside is on defense, his offensive skills, his fit with the Pacers. Parker Ainsworth from Locked on Cougs will talk all things Jarris Walker today on the Locked on Pacers podcast. You are Locked on Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in to another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers, as always. My name's Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and SI, and today it is Jarris Walker Day, diving into the draft prospect from Houston, the forward who has such defensive upside and some offensive skills that are super tantalizing, where he could fit in why he's viewed as a lottery prospect despite the stats he has, how he would fit with the Pacers. Parker Ainsworth from Locked on Cougs is going to join us for a really fun show. Really psyched to be wearing my University of Alaska Fairbanks basketball shirt today. And really excited to talk about Jarris Walker. It's a fun one. Parker has a ton of insight on the Houston forward, and we get into a ton about his game and his fit with this team. Let's just get right to it. It is Jarris Walker time. Maybe one of the best fits in this draft class for the Pacers. We'll dissect it all today if he is or if he isn't. His skills on both ends of the floor, why he's a lottery prospect without the gaudy stats. And joining me to do that, somebody who watched every second of Jarris Walker's college career, host the Locked On Cougs, not Cougars, Cougs covering the Houston Cougars. It's Parker Ainsworth. Parker, what did you think? Big picture of Jarris Walker's lone year at UH. <laughs> uh, my big picture first thought was like, why can't we get more? <laughs> I would love to have Jarris Walker for a lot more. Um, man, what a kid. What a kid, what an athlete, what a basketball player. Um, but impressive athlete to walk through Houston's campus. We don't get a whole lot of I guess he technically measured it like little, uh, closer to six seven, but a whole lot of guys that big, strong, fast, athletic coming through Houston's basketball program, like just tremendous yeah, look, athlete. Look, he he measured six seven. I hate that they do this thing at the combine where it's their measurement without shoes. Oh well, Jarris Walker's going to play barefoot in the NBA, so thank God we got that <laughs> measurement wrong. I hate that. Who cares? Okay, anyway. Yeah, he is so imposing, right? Like you mentioned his size. And that, like that's not where I wanted to start, but it's, I'm talking about it. It's just like he he's not even that tall, but just like his stockiness, his muscularness, and the fact that he moves really well with that size just like makes him look so imposing <laughs> as he moves around the court. And it stands out immediately before he even does anything in games. Yeah, and – this is, I mean, now we're talking about body parts and stuff, but like his like quads are so big. They, like the shorts yeah. don't fit really around his quads. Um, big, strong shoulders, long arms. I mean, he's a tremendous athlete. And honestly, like as a you know group of five moving into power five program, Houston doesn't get those kind of athletes very often. Um, really, really tremendous to have on campus. Well, hey, you're going to the Power Fives now, so it'll yeah, <laughs> maybe more of those will be in the future of UH. But to start with where that, that size and that power is all functional. Jarris Walker, if you just statistically per game looked at him, you'd go, why is this guy a lottery screams, jumps off the page about his abilities, and his defense is the place to start if you want to know more about why he's regarded so highly in this draft class and his abilities. Like 
the last game I was talking to Parker before we recorded that I watched her and they're playing Wichita State and he's just blowing up plays. He's coming out to the level of the screen. He switches. He stops the guard. He falls back to his man. His man gets the ball. He forces a pass. Then he dives down to the guy who catches it in the post up and steals it. He did that twice in like three minutes and they <laughs> did it again in the second half. It's like he can guard everybody. And something I critique a lot with young prospects, and it's not fair to critique all of them for the same thing. Like everybody gets better at this, but a lot of guys their whole life, they're so good and so athletic that they don't have to pay attention when their guy doesn't have the ball. Like they can just recover. Yeah. Jarris Walker's off ball defense is good too, right? He pays attention. He's positionally very sound. Like every part of his defensive game is just so impressive for someone of his age and an imposing stature and athleticism level. And I think he could be the best defender in this class. Maybe we'll see him in your projected for NBA career. I mean, you'd pick the field over one guy, but like <laughs> there's a good chance it'd be him. Right. And that's right. why he's, thought of so highly as a prospect that defense is just incredible yeah and i think you mentioned like the help side activity um if anything early in his college career so i think kelvin samson's a great defensive coach and that obviously helps him out a lot oh you could almost argue early in his college career he was almost too much on the help side there's no defense three seconds in college basketball right and so he's like in the paint ready for the help side a lot um but then certainly by like that january time of the year he really figured it out a lot more um the if you're looking for like help side blocks and that kind of stuff, he had six blocks against Auburn in the second round of the NCAA tournament. Um, obviously, the stat came around in college basketball after Akeem Olajuwon, but that's the most blocks in a, in a tournament or a postseason game for any Houston Cougar ever. And they've had some pretty good basketball players come through. So <laughs> a pretty pretty uh, pretty outstanding performance for him to kind of keep Houston moving on to the next round. Um, you mentioned defending stuff, though. I was thoroughly impressed he's a true at least at the college level was it true and i think project one through five defender with the way that centers are getting kind of smaller more agile um his strength allows him to play with the bigger guys his length and quickness allows him to play with the smaller guys and he does a great job like the trail pin off the backboard kind of stuff with his arm length and wingspan um he's a really really tremendous one through five switch he plays up the level like you mentioned in in, uh, screen roll connections he's really really strong defender I sometimes hate that prospects get the like he can guard one through five label because for most prospects they they can't or like I don't think they can. The Pacers have Isaiah Jackson on their team and he is closer and he was a five and well he wasn't a five in college but he's tall enough to be a five. But that's actually his worst defensive position is the five because he's skinny right he can jump really right. high he can stand for the guards but he's really skinny. Jarris isn't skinny like I think that really tall centers might give him fits just because there'll be a height advantage for the big man but like. I'm pretty confident he'll be able to guard several positions switch well. And in the NBA, where a lot of teams switch in general, but most teams switch like size always anyway, even in non-switching schemes, just like the fact that he's not enormously tall honestly means he'll just be switching more <laughs> in, yeah. the, in the NBA. And we're on a Pacers show here, like Pacers switch a decent amount under Rick Carlisle. Like he'll just fit in so many schemes. And the fact that it's not just like when he's guarding the pick and roll, although he does well there too, right? At the at the at the level of the screen, he was good. He can recover when he drops back because he can stand in the paint for thirty seconds in college basketball, which I was so confused on so many times. I was like, "Man, oh right, it doesn't matter." Um, he, can, he can get up to the shooter. Like it's just so impressive all the ground he's able to cover. I feel like I'm saying just like various little different minor things that some guys are good at, and some guys aren't. But he's kind of good at all of them. And so even though, again, I hate I hate to just keep using his offensive stats to explain why he's a good prospect like even though he's an 11 point whatever points per game guy i don't care about that number his defense is so good that it just doesn't matter he can he he, he looks like he could be a rare rookie that 
no, no rookie's a good defender day one in the NBA, but just like can clearly have ways to be helpful right away in a way that most rookies don't when they reach the pros. Yeah, and we've seen, I think, with more sophisticated college defenses and switching and stuff like that, um, and frankly, just a lot more guys around the same size in the NBA, you're seeing a lot more wing-sized guys playing guard positions, a lot more wing-sized guys playing small ball five positions, um, that guys are maybe coming a little bit more ready, but we've talked about his body a lot, but the size, strength, combination, athleticism, the vertical leap, all that kind of stuff ties into it. And then he's also just, you mentioned the help side kind of stuff. He's always aware. He always understands where the ball is, where the ball's going, what action's being run. And as a Cougar, I want to point out that that's also some of Kelvin Sampson, but that's also got to be the guy on the floor too, right? I mean, he's got to understand it as well. Um, Tremendous defensive upside. And frankly, I would say that that sets his floor really high as a prospect because if you can defend, you can play for a long time, right? Yeah, yeah, years and years. And every team wants defense now, right? Like you look at this finals matchup and some of the even, any team that was in the final eight, even in the postseason, like key adjustments were like, how do we get this large defender on the court for more amounts of time? Aaron Gordon just being huge was like a huge factor in game one. You could go on and on about how important that is. And something else that matters here, and this is Kelvin Sampson credit, like they don't run switching all the time at Houston. We were talking about this before we started recording, but couple of the games I watched, they played Central Florida, who has Taylor Hendricks. And so right at the beginning of every possession, Hendricks would have the ball. He'd pitch it to a guard, and Walker would be guarding him, and he would just stay with him. They wouldn't switch, right? They kept their best defender on Hendricks. But then in Wichita State and South Florida, he, he would switch all the time, right? They didn't need him to be just staying with the other team's best player as much. So, I mean, this might be small. Maybe I'm overthinking this, but just like attention to a game plan, right? That's good. <laughs> the fact that he could do that as well. Like, it's just all these little things that slowly add up. And you're like, man, this guy's defense just could be awesome. And I, and even if, you know, you are projecting what a player will be in the NBA, even if he doesn't improve much, like, I don't even think he'll be a bad defender. And that matters a lot. Just like, yeah. you're not going to be a negative on that end of the floor. Great. That matters. Right. Because you mentioned the finals. We're watching the finals, like, the heater, like, can we sneak Duncan Robinson in for a while here at the end of the game? Like, <laughs> do we have to play a zone if we have someone? So, like, those kinds of things matter, right? Being able just to functionally play defense with guys on the floor. And I don't think there's any question about can you play defense in a 55, 54, whatever kind of matchup with Jairus Walker on the floor. Hey guys, short little break here so I can talk to you about game time. Buying tickets to your favorite events should not be stressful. And game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. With killer deals on last-minute tickets and the best price guarantee, you can stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for the fun you'll have at the event. Game time is the best. They have flash deals and last-minute tickets for all your favorite events. Easy to find and buy tickets for every kind of event in your area and images of seat views right on the app. And best of all, their lowest price guarantee, event cancellation protection, and job loss protection help you with the money in your pocket. The images of your seats are clutch, so you know what you're going to see. You can buy your tickets in a matter of seconds and they're sent directly to your phone. No need to dig through your email. Download the GameTime app today. Use the promo code LOCKDOWNNBA for $20 off your first purchase, and their GameTime guarantee means you'll always get the best price. So if you find tickets in the same section row for less, GameTime will credit you 110% of that difference. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem the code LOCKDOWNNBA for $20 off. Download GameTime today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Yeah, the Pacers need size. They need fours. Rick Carlisle, their head coach, when asked what this team kind of needs, uh, this offseason was like, yeah, every team's looking for size that can make plays on offense, and we need defense. And hey, Jairus Walker can certainly do two of those things. We'll talk about the offensive game. In fact, I want to get to that right now because 
this is sort of why I rate him really highly as a prospect is where I'll start with. And then we'll talk about the, the, the ceilings and limits of his offensive game, right? So he shot it well enough, right? And that's sort of where I think my belief in his floor stems from. He hit 34.7% of his threes at Houston. Not like a ton of attempts. Uh, over 100, though, so not an embarrassing number of attempts. The free throw shooting suggests that like maybe he's not going to be an awesome shooter, but good enough as a shooter. And if you just look at, like, there's only six freshmen ever who have made 35 threes and had a block rate and steal rate at his level. Uh, most of them made the NBA. I don't know who Zach Austin is at high point, but the rest of them all made the <laughs> NBA for first-round picks. There's only five of them, actually. It's like, it's if, if you can, even if he's just a shooter in the NBA, no one thinks of Jairus Walker as a 3 and D prospect. I don't think he should be thought of as a 3 and D prospect, but even if he's 35% in the pros on, like, three attempts a game that's enough that's enough with his defense to be like this guy can help you on both ends and so that gives me a lot of confidence in his floor the fact that he made enough of those threes even though it's not like i'm not like oh they need to hunt out jarris walker threes what is houston doing but it's like a viable enough thing that when he took them it was a fine shot yeah 35 percent is the kind of thing where you're not upset when he takes one um and frankly the defense needs respect that he could take them right um they're not going to make him take threes i i also think that and this is me watching him across the 36 or seven games. Um, truthfully, it took him like the, the, the rhythm or, or the form itself takes a little bit longer than he, than a typical like perimeter guy would. And I don't, I don't mean to put it on the pacer staff, but to me, that's just repetition, right? That's repetition and, and reps and a shooting coach can kind of speed those kind of things, the mechanics of that up. Um, and frankly, if he could, get more off that 35% at a higher or at a higher volume would be a whole lot different conversation. Right. Um, Cause there are frequently times where he might be like slow to pull the jump shot. And it's like, Oh, I'm six, seven, two I'm just going to body this guy. Like, like right. <laughs> as you should, as you happens should. too. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and so I, I wonder if that actually not necessarily increases in percentage, but increases in, he does become the kind of guy who gets four four and a half attempts a game instead of two and a half attempts a game or something like that sometime down the line. I, I, it wouldn't surprise me. I, it would take a mechanics guy, a speeds guy, but it wouldn't surprise me. The thing about that level of shooter too is volume just becomes important for spacing, right? Like if you make 35%, but every time you catch, you take it, like your defender still has to think about that when you're behind the three-point line. But if you shoot it half the time or less than that, they're like, hey, whatever, I'll sag off of you and stop something else. So the, I, I agree with you that, more reps, more time, more volume will be important for him on that. But I don't think he'll be an awful shooter, and I think that's going to matter a lot. Like something I, I I mentioned this I think on every prospect show. There's so many forward prospects in this draft class. Is like I have this belief that for forwards you just have to be a good defender or a good shooter to be in a rotation in the NBA these days, right? You don't have to be good at both. If you could just do one or the other, there's a spot for you to play. Now, if you're just good at one or the other, your ceiling's not that high. So of course, Jarris's offense is going to matter for you know, where he's picked or what the team evaluates of him, but he's already good enough of a defender to play. If the three can be a weapon too, that's enormous because the other part of his offensive game that people talk about a lot, and this is the opposite of a lot of other top prospects that people like is like everyone else above him on most mock drafts. They have upside as a shot creator or like an obvious way that they're breaking down or bending a defense. And that isn't there as much for Jairus Walker. I tweeted a clip right before we started recording of him. Uh, in that first Central Florida game where he catches the top of the key and no one's in front of him. He takes two really hard dribbles and throws a beautiful interior pass to his teammate to set up a shot. I'm like, man, if I could just see that like once a game, 
I'd feel a lot better about his creation upside because for all the things he does while finishing plays, the creation upside that people crave that can get defenses in rotation or can create good shots for your team in general isn't there. And look, the Pacers might not need it themselves. They already have a lot of creators, but that is where a lot of people think of upside. And you don't have, like, he has a lot of defensive upside, so I don't care as much about that. But that's where the limit is to me in his game is that he's not that creator on the offensive end. So what's funny is I would say he's not a he wasn't a big creator in his year in college, but I would call him a good passer. Like I thought, yeah, I thought I he threw good passes, and I, I found guys open in the right spots and hit him in the pocket and so on. But he wasn't necessarily the like the driving engine in the same way that um, another top four prospect right would be Brandon Miller, right? Like Brandon Miller did all the things for Alabama, especially in the second half of the season, right? Uh, you mentioned you watched UCF and Taylor Hendricks, like they wanted to go through him a lot more, um, yep. whereas Houston had like. Marcus Sasser, who was conference player of the year, point guard, right? Or Jamal Shedd was conference defensive player of the year, right? He's the other guards, the guys that are like more veteran college guys, right? Um, to kind of steer the ship in that way. I don't know how much of his IMG tape you watched. I was watching when he was a recruit coming in. Um, he did do more of that point forward stuff for IMG. Obviously, it's a whole like that is the highest level of high school basketball, but it is just high school basketball. So you got to like take some of that with what you got there. Um, but I, I would have said I was surprised he did so little of it at Houston after having watched the IMG tape. But I would imagine, like you're saying, the Houston tape, as far as how much of that he can and will do, will translate a lot more because it's just higher competition. It does matter what you do in high school, too, though. Like, of course, I only watched four total games of this guy. But, you know, NBA teams have years and years and years of evaluations and stuff like that. I always read stories. I was talking to someone about this today about, like, X team drafted X player and they loved his draft workout. I'm like, they scouted this guy for years. You're telling me they picked him because of his workout. Like, come on, <laughs> come on. I don't, I don't buy this for one second. I never at do. all. But <laughs> IMG matters a lot. But those programs like IMG matter a lot too, just because they have a pipeline. They have coaches who know people. Like, that's a big deal. Um, and yeah, a lot of these guys who are really good in college were amazing and had the ball all the time. Right, <laughs> right, right. right. Nice team USA experience too, right? Uh, U19 or whatever it yeah, was. Yeah. Um, I don't know if he's going to, because he is 19 now, I don't know if he'll make the, the big league team or what have you, um, but he was in the system. I will say, though, that that uh, if you're into high school tape, that high school team had he and Keontae George, and like they could roll. <laughs> like, it, it's a fun what tape a to go watch. Team. Yeah. unfun to play against. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Something interesting about his offense, like removing the creation part, because that's what, I think that's what people just traditionally think of with upside. Like Amen Thompson could just like run by anybody at any time with the ball and make a defense rotate. Um, he finishes well inside. Like if you go to CBB Analytics, pull up a shot chart, 69% at the rim. That's awesome. That's what you want to see from a guy who might be rolling to the basket a lot or just catching the ball down there. He's not going to post anybody up and do like a three dribble back down. It's not a thing in the NBA anymore anyway. Yeah. But if yeah. he gets the ball there and he's got a chance to put it in, great. He's going to do it. Sometimes that's dunk. Sometimes the finish, whatever that's going to go in. But he also finished well enough in the paint above average in the paint area, but outside of the rim, 41.5% there, 0.3% above college average, decent enough in the mid ranges above the break. Three was at 38%. The corners were abysmal, uh, which is not something that NBA teams will like, but either way, like a lot of his finishing, from areas where he had the ball a lot was impressive and why his field goal percentage is solid, even though he's not like an amazing shooter. So I think if he is just tasked with being a play finisher at times, that'll be totally fine. That's something he's capable of, even though again, not a high volume, like he attempted less than 10 shots a game, but even I think he can be a play finisher in the NBA, especially inside the arc. If asked to be. 
Yeah, and I thought it was interesting too. Um, in watching, it's not quite the same kind of creation either. But we both agreed that I thought he's a good passer. Um, he he caught you talk about the top end of the lane or whatever the short roll kind of stuff he would do. Uh, the most notable game to me that stuck out was against Virginia, a very pack line defense, right? Forcing long shots. Um, he made quick decisions in that that didn't always lead to a shot because you're le- you're playing against an elite college defense. But I, I did think it was interesting that they went to that against uh, Cincinnati and Virginia in a couple instances um, where it would just it, it put more of an onus on him to make a decision in the top half of the lane. And he had for a guy that's 245 pounds um as good a touch on that floater kind of stuff from that like a 10 foot floater as opposed to like a at the rim float kind of shot um i i honestly didn't know that at 245 guys could do that that i would think a 19 year old (laughs) kid with all that muscle would just be throwing rocks at the rim you know i had no idea it was coming um even after watching some of his high school tape right it was impressive to say the least again in that like 10 to 15 feet area um off the catch like you're saying off the screen roll yeah, for sure, and and I think those are all going to be interesting indicators for him too. And like his role is going to matter, right? Like Houston had players who should have the ball instead of him, but that isn't the case with sometimes with these prospects. Where it's like they're the best player on the team; they should have the ball all the time. Wasn't necessarily the case for the Cougs. I gotta be careful. Like if I say locked on Cougars, I made this joke before we started. That's a different show. That's BYU. We're not talking about Jimmer. I'm talking about Darren. <laughs> um, last thing I want to touch on with him offensively. His screening ability specifically because a, a frame like he has, like I think he'll when he gets the NBA, he'll be a four right away. But it's going to be so tempting for whatever team picks him to go, oh, wow, you're just giant. Okay, yeah, you're the five. And so he'll be, he might be screening a lot. He might be screening a lot, whatever position he's on the floor. But I think he's a good screener. I think that matters. And I think some of that is just that he's huge. <laughs> he's just imposing, yeah. right? And so he, I think he gets a little jittery because he's an athlete and rolls too early sometimes or doesn't quite wait for the contact. And when he actually sets like, boom, hit you with the screen. I hope you didn't hear that. Shake my mic. Um, it's a good <laughs> screen. And I think that's going to be important for him too, because he is quick. He is an athlete, right? If he's going to be finished plays around the basket, setting a good screen is going to matter. And I think that projects well for him to potentially be a five sometimes when the matchup permits it. Yeah. You mentioned the imposing presence. Uh, the listing I have here has miles Turner at two fifty. That's about the same weight, right? Like, right, right, <laughs> like right. that's as big. He's not as tall, but like as big and heavy as this guy is getting hit with the screen, very literally is getting hit with the same amount of weight in a lot of ways. Um, and then, you know, obviously he's a 19 year old kid that wants to get to the rim and catch a lob. But outside, outside of teaching through that, I think that he's going to, especially with a guy like Halliburton coming off the screen. Oh my God, how much fun could that be? Yeah. What do you make of him as a rebounder? That's the last kind of like key thing that people want to hear about. I mean, I, I never really have opinions of guys as rebounders unless they're like so good or so bad at it. And I didn't feel like you stood out in either way on that, but he's fine. You know, he doesn't, he's not like he was never a guy that I felt like was a liability in a college Agreed. game, right? So like in a college game where I'm like, oh crap, if he's on the floor. His guy's going to kill us. Like that was certainly <laughs> never the case. Um, right. He had a couple of games there where um, like Jawan Roberts, the starting center got in foul trouble. Um, against like Tulane, I want to say. And so like he stuck out and like he got a few extra boards in that one. Um, Against Miami, Miami was notably, Miami got to the final four, but was not very tall, right? Um, And while they did beat Houston in the Sweet 16, I want to say he had double-digit rebounds in that one too because he was playing guys kind of his own height, right? Um, But never at any point in the season when I was like, oh my God, his guy's getting all the offensive rebounds and he can't find a body. That was was never the case. It was never anything like that. It just, he wasn't wasn't grabbing 
18 or he went or 22 or he wasn't uh, Oscar Shibway at Kentucky or anything like that either, right? <laughs> Miami knocked out my Hoosiers, so I'm you're dead to me for bringing that up again. But they, didn't the right. they got us too. They got us. Too. <laughs> one more break here, guys, so I can talk to you about Prize Picks, who are doing a one million dollar daily Superflex promotion during the NBA Finals. Every day of the finals, they'll pick one user with a chance at becoming a millionaire. One entry placed after eight a.m. Eastern every day will be randomly selected. Whoever placed that entry will be given a six pick flex. With a chance to win a million dollars if all six are correct, 80,000 if five are correct, or 16,000 if four are correct. Full details at prizepicks.com slash million. You just opt in at that link. Play the game like normal. How do you play prize picks? You pick one player and an over-under. Will they go over or under that number? You pick two to six players, and you can win 25 times your money. For example, will Nikola Jokic have more or less than 29.5 points in his next game? That's how prize picks works. You can make your entries in 60 seconds or less. It's safe. They have fast withdrawals. And it's operational in over 30 states as well as Canada. So download the PrizePix app or go to prizepix.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code LOCKEDON. If you deposit $100, PrizePix will give you $100. If you deposit $50, PrizePix will give you $50. You get the idea, but don't forget to enter that promo code LOCKEDON and sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100 at PrizePix. Daily fantasy made easy. This is a Pacers show. After all, I do want to talk about Jairus' fit with this well, this is a crossover show, but I host the Pacers show uh, specifically with this team and what they have. And to do that, I'm going to pull up that Carlisle quote that I referenced earlier. The exact thing he said at his ex interview about two months ago was everybody wants a four man that has length, that can guard multiple positions, that can shoot threes and make plays. It's become one of the hardest positions to fill. I don't know if necessarily you're going to see, see Jairus Walker making plays, but he checks a lot of those boxes. And hey, if you look at the Pacers roster, they have no forward depth right now, right? That is a big part of this. They have Jordan Wara. They have Aaron Neesmith, sort of. They have Chris Duarte, sort of. And everybody else is a bigger regard. It's like they desperately need forwards. I'm not ever like a draft for fit guy. I always think you draft the best player available. But, but... The Pacers are in a unique spot where they have a lot of guys at some positions and lo- almost none at this position that their coach just said was critically important. Again, I'm not saying they should draft for fit specifically, but it definitely should be a tiebreaker in their case, given how <laughs> low their depth is at that spot, like a significant tiebreaker. And the fact that, one, there are a lot of forwards in this draft matters, but Walker just fits a lot of the stuff that they talked about needing. And I'm just so into the way that he plugs a lot of their holes as a defender and a switching guy and a finisher on offense and just an imposing sort of tough threat that I think he fits really well with what the Pacers need. They were 26th in defense this past season, 30th after the all-star break. It's their second straight year of terrible defense. They've talked about that being the thing they needed to improve the most. And I think he can come in and plug a lot of their holes in that end. He's going to have, you know, it's not going to happen right away. It never does for rookies. I, I, I was amazed how good Benedict Matherin was last year as a rookie because I usually parrot the rookies are bad phrase over and over and over again. And they had two good rookies last year, but he's got a chance to be an impactful defender pretty quickly. And he fills a very big need for the Pacers. He is an excellent fit of the guys like typically mocked in their range to me. Yeah, it's interesting that obviously you're in, if you're in the lottery, you need to take best available probably anyway. Yeah. But odds are just in this particular lottery that the best available will be a forward, right? Like, like I don't know how much insight Carla has into what the six picks before him will be, but Brandon Miller is looking like he's going to be a top three pick. Um, I think of the Thompson, Thompson kids as almost forwards. I guess they're technically they bring the ball up, though. Uh, Cam Whitmore is a Villanova kid. He's in this range. 
Um, Jarris, I would argue, because of how high that floor is when you're a good defender, I, I have him very high in this draft, and I um, I would have a hard time seeing him fall past seven because to me, if he fell past seven in the Pacers, that's A, means that you probably took another four, like a Cam Whitmore or what have you, right? And then B, I'm like, What's going on? Why? Why? Why was Kim? Why, why were these guys all available at seven? Um, as a Houston guy, I'm also a Rockets guy, so I am paying attention to the top part of the draft, right? Um, fairly closely, to say the least. And it's been several years of doing that, for what it's worth. Um, but I really feel like Jarris with that high floor for a team like Carlisle coached, got has Tyrese Halliburton. Has like you mentioned, a couple guys who are good rookies last season. Miles Turner can't be around forever. I, I feel like maybe, maybe he will be, <laughs> but I like um, I, I just feel like he fits in well as an immediate plug and play guy on a team that really could make some leaps. I mean, we're seeing a Miami team that almost lost in the play in, win the Eastern Conference and and go one one in the uh, NBA Finals and da 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 da. Right, like theoretically getting to that play in for Indiana shouldn't be out of the question next season. And this is a guy that can be a starter and help you get there. Like, I feel like that's something they can't pass on. Yeah. The top three is almost always mocked as the same three players, but like, you know, Houston probably won't pick Jarris at four, but you know, every team four through nine, it's like, dang, he, he fits really well with that team. You know, it's like, yeah. so, so th- that just kind of tells you what the kind of player he is and what the NBA asks of you these days. And the thing about fit that's really interesting to me is like, I've stopped like last year. I talked about this a lot. Like I stopped caring about like, how does Jarris Walker fit with the top nine guys the Pacers have right now? Because the NBA changes so fast now with your teams that that's not like the best exercise. But what I do like to do is the best guys like Tyrese Halberton is going to be a Pacer for as long as they, they can have him. Right. He fits very well with Halberton and covers up a lot of his weaknesses. Matherin, same thing. He'll probably be a Pacer for a long time. Fits really well with him, covers up a lot of his weaknesses. If they keep uh, Turner's going to be in whatever sort of rumbling things for forever and ever, but <laughs> forever. You know, pair, they pair incredibly well in the front court defensively. Thad Young and Miles Turner together was one of the best Pacers defensive front courts of their current front offices era. Right? Like that, that the fit is strong with the guys that you'd project Andrew Nimhart as well that he would actually be playing with for the longest time when he is actually, you know, integrated in the NBA and good and not just a rookie and fitting him in with this exact iteration of the Pacers. And that's why, I, you know, some of these other teams, I don't know if you could say that as much about as you can with the Pacers who already have that creator who's going to have the ball at the time and just needs Jairus to screen, cut, finish plays, make a third at minimum of your threes, right? They have that infrastructure in place already. So I just, I really think the fit is fantastic. And I think a lot of fans have already, Noticed that, noted that as well. But in particular, the more I watch him, I'm like, man, yeah, he he just size-wise, skill-wise, is a great fit with the blue and gold. Uh, well, and frankly, um, like Carlisle with a ring on his finger and all those, like, that's a pretty <laughs> yeah. strong coach to have. Like, go, to go from IMG Academy to Kelvin Sampson to Rick Carlisle, like, that's a lot of basketball IQ being passed around there. Um, would have to think that that'd be something Jairus would want himself. I mean, he chose Houston for a guy like Samson, and I'm sure that he would choose a coach in the pros like Carl. It's been around the block a few times. Um, I, I I like to fit a lot as a Houston guy. Um, obviously, I'd be, there'd be something nice about having him as a rocket, but it doesn't look like they're going to go that way, right? So, <laughs> Hey, James Harden's going to need some defense behind him, right? There we go. Apparently, that's what's <laughs> <laughs> That's the perfect response to me. Yeah, I, 
I'm a big fan of what Walker is like. It takes a lot for me to be like really into defense prospects just because I value shot creation so much. But Jarris and Hendricks, fittingly, are two guys that are mainly known for their defense. And I'm like, oh, yeah, these guys are going to be good in the NBA, at least to me. Right. I'm just a guy. I have obviously watched way less than Parker has of Jarris Walker, but I'm a big fan of what he could be in the NBA one day. And for the team with seventh pick could be a fantastic fit. Parker, this was fun. For my Patriots listeners, where can they follow you and your coverage of the Houston Cougs, the Cougars? Yeah, Locked on Cougs, daily podcast with the Houston Cougars. Uh, same place you find Locked on Pacers, obviously, wherever you get your podcast, YouTube, etc. Um, and then on Twitter, I'm at Paynesworth512. That's P-A-I-N-S-W-R-T-H-512. I'm, my name is Parker Ainsworth. It worked out that way, but it's a fun handle. Um, on all your social medias, Paynesworth512, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, all the things. I'm not super active on TikTok, but I guess that's one of them, right? Um, so that's where I'm at. <laughs> My my life goal is to be the youngest person who never downloads TikTok. So far, <laughs> so good. Hopefully that that doesn't change anytime soon. I see them everywhere else. This is what this conversation has become. I see them on other social media. It's like, do I need this? Does, does it matter if I see it earlier? Um, yeah, follow Parker. Uh, listen to Locked On Cougs, Locked On Podcast Network's got stuff on your team if you are interested in the Indiana College teams. Of course, we've got Locked On Hoosiers and Locked On Irish as well. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Tony R East tomorrow. Howard Beck's going to rejoin us talking about some Pacers team building topics from this summer. We got shooting guard for agency preview coming this week. Some other draft players. I like coming as well. Thank you guys a ton for listening to locked on Cougs and locked on Pacers. We'll see you soon. <laughs>